Coming up on Studios America, one of my favorite authors is running for governor in California. We'll talk to the great Michael Schellenberger about that. Gas prices have hit a new national record. I will tell you which one of my children I'm selling off to keep my car fueled up. And the tragic story out of Uvalde, Texas, of course, continues to evolve as new facts come to light. I've got a message for all the lefties in the media trying to lock in their narratives early. Let's do patience during crisis. Stu does America. Let me try to get you up to date for all the stuff that's been going on with the Uvalde shooting and aftermath. It's a lot to get to, so I want to get right to it. Um, Of course, Beto O'Rourke is continuing to try to make this all about him. He is going to attend a protest outside the Houston NRA conference because somehow that's going to make this situation better. Figure it out. Figure out how that could possibly occur. Figure out how Beto could possibly improve the situation around uh, the NRA convention in Houston. And when you come up at the end of that process with nothing, realize it's all about Beto. He doesn't care if it gets better. He cares about himself. Uh, March for Our Lives is coming back into your life. You remember them after the Parkland shooting. This is the David Hogg group, and all those guys are going to come back with another march. Uh, They want to uh, get back into the spotlight and get their issues back on the table. Uh, Students nationwide are walking out of classes to protest inaction on guns by government. I will say I read the story, and what they really mean is not students nationwide, but they mean students in multiple uh, multiple locations nationwide, like in a few cities, this happened. That doesn't mean not all people all across the country, just in a few cities. They had a couple of examples. And I will tell you, and I've told you this story before, I used to walk out of school for any cause. I would leave no matter what. They were like, you know what? We think uh, there should be more abortions. I'm like, I'm, yeah, let's go. Uh, what, are you for war or anti-war? I don't care, really. You don't, is it, whatever it is, if we're leaving class, I'm coming with you. So I don't know that walkouts are ever a measure of anything. Uh, we also had a very sad story of a guy who was at, uh, who his kid was at the shooting, or his nephew, I believe it was, was at the shooting. He was shot and killed. He went to go see the body, uh, then came back, and he was followed by someone he thought was the media. But no, it turned out to be a representative of Greg Abbott, who offered to pay this guy to stand next to him and say you didn't want new gun control laws. If that story sounds believable, you are like every liberal on Twitter. As Andy No points out, this threat is from a man who claims Greg Abbott sent a representative to offer money to pose with the governor for Uvalde has gone ultra viral with the left. But I looked into who was really behind the account. Jason R. Noritz, he's 43, not from Texas. He's from Spokane, Washington. He has claimed on Twitter to be a 9-11 responder, a a Purple Heart recipient, and to have had another nephew that was killed. No one with his name has ever received a Purple Heart. He's an anti-Trump activist who has boasted about shooting at cars with Trump flags. Now, of course, I think you'd read that story and immediately be skeptical. Seriously, even if it was like Gavin Newsom or some other terrible, Andrew Cuomo even, uh, some terrible governor on the left, wouldn't you immediately be skeptical of that story? Would you retweet it? I don't know. I mean, I look, I may have the wrong opinion of you, but my opinion of you is much higher than that. 
I would assume you'd look into the claim and try to see this kind of sounds like BS, even if it did further your political view for the next 10 seconds. Well, I mean, I did made a partial list here, uh, you know, the typical names you'd expect, the Christopher Titus, Rosanna Arquette, Keith Olbermann, Julian Castro, uh, just a partial list here. Uh, I mean, I counted 17 blue checks just going through Twitter that retweeted it, liked it, uh, responded to it, amplified it, because there's just no conscience here. There's no and there's no skepticism, no curiosity. This is the world that we live in right now. Some of these stories are just devastating, as you'd expect coming out of a situation like this. Perhaps maybe the most devastating one is this teacher who was shot in the attacks, protecting her students by all accounts. Uh, Her husband then comes to a memorial, lays flowers down, and an hour later dies of a heart attack. Uh, Incomprehensible grief. They leave behind four children. Just absolutely incredible. We uh, also have uh, uh, some of the focus has kind of moved to the police officers. That's kind of what we're going to focus on here uh, tonight as we get into this. Uh, There was a heroic officer rushed to the Uvalde school after uh, uh, they were getting their hair cut, got got halfway through a haircut, got the call, borrowed their barber's shotgun, and then both he and their barber decided to go to try to do something about this. Uh, But most of the stories when it comes to law enforcement are not looking very good right now. We want to make sure that we know all the facts, and that's going to be a focus of what we talk about tonight. There's one story that has come out, and this is just awful. Cops told kids at a Texas school to yell if you need help. When one did, the gunman came over and shot her. This is according to another student who was in the room. Lawmakers are now asking the FBI to investigate police response to the Uvalde massacre, including apparent failure to confront shooter. And this is really where all the criticism is coming. And it kind of comes from a pretty honest place. Look, we can all sit here and look at a situation like this and point fingers. And, you know, look, we will. The other side will. Everybody will. And that's something that we're going to have to get through. It's part of the process. It's coming much too early in the process lately, I've noticed. But sometimes these these pointing fingers of blame are not really based on all that much information. This time, there's a lot of smoke here. There's a lot of smoke here. Let me give you maybe why a lot of this stuff started out. We had this, these complaints from the parents. We saw crazy videos from the scene. We talked about them yesterday where they seem to be holding parents down, blocking them from trying to help, all of these things. And it just didn't seem right. So the media went up and started asking questions to police officers. And their responses, I think, have done nothing but add more questions onto the pile. Let me give you this. This is a police lieutenant talking about why police did not enter the room. But don't current the best practices, Lieutenant, call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom. 
so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings. Look, no one wants to get shot. No one wants to get killed. Every police officer I've ever talked to and military people, um, uh, security officers that, you know, we've, we've dealt with them for years, high level security officers that do celebrity for politicians and celebrities and all that stuff. All of them, no, none of them want to get shot, but all of them realize that's kind of part of the gig. And all of them would volunteer to walk into a building and go after a shooter who's trying to take kids out. I mean, I, there is some calculation to make sure that things go the best way possible, but uh, no one wants to hear that right now. Um, no one wants to hear that. People want to know that you were doing the best thing that you could to protect those kids. And this this stuff keeps happening in press conference as well. This is uh, a Texas DPS official talking uh, about this incident as well and, and giving the, the good old Jen Psaki. Listen. You guys have said that he was barricaded. Can you explain to us how he was barricaded and why you guys cannot breach that door? So I have taken all your questions into consideration. We will be doing updates. We will be doing updates to answer those questions. You answer that question now, sir. What is your name? Shimon Prokopetz from Shimon. CNN. I hear you. Because we've been given a lot of bad information. So why don't you clear all of this up now and explain to us how it is that your officers who are in there for an hour, yes, rescuing people, but yet no one was able to get inside that room. Shimon, we will, we will circle back with you. We want to answer all your questions. We want to give you the why. That, that's, that's our job. So give us time. I'm taking all your questions. I'm taking them back to talk to the team. Can you tell and, uh, us how the door was barricaded? Look, thank you for being here. Have a, we'll talk soon. I'm going to circle back on that one. Look, some of this is understandable, um, and I certainly am not trying to beat up on the police officers. Many of them, I'm sure, did their absolute best in this situation. But these questions are normal. And you see these, this question here from CNN. In case there's any journalists watching right now, that's the stuff you're supposed to do, like, on Biden. Like, that's the way you're supposed to question the Democrats in charge of things when they screw them up. That's the sort of approach, the sort of passion, the sort of interest you should have on other issues as well. I'm glad you have it here. I want the answers to this as well. But this should go to all of your work, not just when you're yelling at police officers. So try to remember that uh, for the future. We d After all this went down, uh, they the, the law enforcement kind of realized they had a problem on their hands. People were, the parents were upset, even journalists were upset. Uh, the American people are upset and want to know what went down here. So they gave a very detailed timeline. And I want to go through this with you, mainly because it's just unbelievable. I, it's frankly unbelievable that this could have happened this way. And the times are important. So we started at 1127 a.m. Video shows an exterior door to the elementary school that gunman, uh, the gunman went through was propped open by a teacher. Now, I don't know what the reasoning was for this. There was a lot of people on campus that day. Uh, it's whoever this teacher is, I can't even imagine what they're going through, that they propped open the door that this guy came through. Uh, Ramos, uh, excuse me, he's the, uh, uh, the shooter, crashed a vehicle near the school uh, into a ditch, got out, began firing upon two people who came outside to see the crash near a funeral home. Civilians were not struck by gunfire. They came over to see the crash, they saw the gun. They ran another way. He missed them, thankfully. At 11.30, 11.30, the first 911 call is made to Uvalde police reporting a car crash and a man with a gun outside of a school. 11.30. Keep that time in your head. 
11.30, U.S. Marshal Service says it receives a call from a Uvalde police officer requiring, uh, requesting assistance. So immediately they ask for assistance. 11.31, the shooting suspect reaches the last row of cars in the school parking lot and shooting begins outside the school. Patrol vehicles reach the funeral home and a patrol car drives by the shooter who is hunkered down by another vehicle. So a minute later, it seems like they're on the scene. 11.32, the suspect is firing at the school. 11.33, suspect enters the school and begins shooting into a classroom. He shoots more than 100 rounds. Now, at 11.33, I mean, this is, as right now, it, it, it basically as quick as you can possibly, uh, uh, you can possibly go right now. You know, I mean, it's really not, not much you can do um, at this point. You can't really go faster than this. 11.35, Total of seven officers are on the scene and three officers enter the school, later followed by an additional team of three more officers and a sheriff. Two of the initial officers received grazing wounds from the suspect while the classroom door was closed. So you know, we have police officers being shot here. Okay. Um, 1137, 16 rounds were fired between 1137 and 1144. So the shooting is going on all of this time. They apparently say they can't get into the room. Rob Elementary announces on Facebook that they're under attack at 1143. At 11.51, more officers uh, arrive. Remember, 11.30 is when this thing started. We're now 21 minutes in. Uh, at 12.03, as many as 19 officers are in the school's hallway. Okay? 33 minutes later now, but 19 officers are there. That's 12.03. Unfortunately, somehow, that's not the end of this incident. 12.03. And this is where it really gets hard to, to honestly go through. I, I got to be honest with you, this is rough. 12.03, a girl in the room, in room 112, makes a call to 911. 12.03. So this is the point where, because there's this idea, and we talked about it on the air earlier, uh, certainly on radio, I don't remember who I did it here yesterday, but uh, that there are some possible explanations for why it took so long. If they believed, let's say, either... None of the kids had been shot and that they he was holding them hostage or all of the kids had been shot. No one's left in the room. You might not necessarily if 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 he's barricaded inside of a room and no one else is alive, the move might not be to charge in there and let him shoot a bunch of officers when there's no danger to anyone else. If you know that to be true, it's a somewhat rational way to, of thinking of things. However, we now know at 1203 for sure that someone is alive in the room. They called 911 from the room. At 12.10, a 911 call is received from the same girl in room 112, reporting multiple people are dead. Now again, there's 19 officers outside. They get a call at 12.03. The same girl waits nine minutes, sitting there in this room somehow, and then calls again at 12.10. Excuse me, seven minutes. Then, three minutes later, calls again. The girl makes another 911 call. At 12.15, the Border Patrol's tactical unit arrives on scene. 12.16, the girl makes another 911 call, reporting there were eight to nine students alive. Now, we are 46 minutes into this. They are 13 minutes past knowing there are children alive in this room and nothing has happened. That is incomprehensible to me. This is the part where it seems, I don't know, I want to know all the facts, but I, but I, I don't know how this adds up here. Um, at 12.19 p.m., a different 911 call is received from a caller in the other adjoining room, room 111, 
but the caller hangs up. Um, suspect, again, then fires at 1221, firing their gun. So now we know there are eight to nine kids at least inside that are alive, and we know the shooter is actually firing inside the room. 1221. 1221 again. Another 911 call is received. Three more shots are fired. 1221. Officers move down the hallway? I, I mean, from 1203 to 1221, all that's incomprehensible to me. 12.36 p.m. We are now over an hour into this. There's a 911 call that lasts 21 seconds with a student saying he shot the door. 12.43, another 911 call from inside the room saying, please send police. The police are right outside. They're right outside while this is going on. 12.47, another 911 call. 12.46, the 911 caller says they can hear the police next door. 12.50, more shots being fired over the 911 call. At 12.50, law enforcement breaches the door, and you can, on the 911 call, they hear the, the room being evacuated. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. It started at 11.30. By 12.03, they knew there were people alive in the room. At 12.15 or so, there were people alive in the room with shots being fired. That's the abs. Even if you want to be incomprehensibly charitable, that's the last moment that you could possibly justify not going through that door with any, with any consequences. And that still goes on until 1250. I mean, it's 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 not it's not good. Um, here's the, the justification uh, from law enforcement as to what their thinking was at the time. Uh, let me let them explain it. What effort was made to try to get in the classroom with 19 student, uh, officers outside the classroom is the question. What happened? Why did you, what was the effort? None at that time. No effort. The, the on-scene commander at the time believed that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. Sir, you have people who are alive, children who are calling 911 saying, Children are calling 911 saying, please send police. They are alive in the classroom. Hey, we're, we're, well, we're, we're well aware of that. Yeah. Why was this decision made? Why was it made not to go in? you know, the on-scene commander considered a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch more children at risk. Obviously, obvi obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk. And it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. Uh, yeah, yeah, that seems to be the case. I mean, I, I, how does this happen? I, I don't even know. Um, here is, uh, this is kind of the, the quote that's making the rounds most, where the, the where law enforcement sort of says, yeah, this, I mean, we know now that we blew this. I mean, they're, they're t starting to admit that. We don't know all the details, who made the mistakes, what happened. Here's the explanation. Have the benefit of hindsight where I'm sitting now, of course, it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision. Period. There's no no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there. But I'm just telling you, from what we know, we believe there should have been an entry at that as soon as you can. Look, the truth is that this looks really bad for law enforcement. It is important, of course, to remember that we don't need to solve this crime today. This isn't a Scooby-Doo episode. We can wait for the facts and make our judgments when we have all of them. 
That being said, there's a lot of smoke here when it comes to the actions of law enforcement. Is there fire? We don't know for sure, but it sure looks that way. It's hard to imagine any excuse for what I just described to you. Uh, frankly, I, I don't know what it would be. I want to hear from everybody involved, so I, if I'm not thinking of something, but man, I, I, can't, I can't see it from where I am right now. The officer that was supposed to be on site wasn't for some reason. Officers were told to wait in the hallway for an eternity while kids were still alive in the room, while shots were being fired, while they were calling 911. How can this happen? Just like in Parkland, over time, we will learn if someone really dropped the ball. And we can make sober decisions about who should be held accountable. We can also make sober decisions about what potential policy changes need to be made. The time to just do something is when you have 19 police officers outside of the classroom. Now that the situation has been resolved and the killer is dead, now is the time to make sure we take our time and get all of this right. We don't need to just do something now. The time for that was earlier. But one thing we can do right now is remember who is most responsible here. It's not the gun. It's not the culture. It's not the police. It's not the shooter's family. The person responsible for these shootings is the shooter himself. We are in such a rush to jump to politics and blame everyone else that we haven't taken the time to get pissed off at the guy who actually did it. We can have all the security in the world and we can have all the gun control in the world. But when evil people decide to do evil things, we're never going to stop all of them. What we can do is try to catch these situations early, act appropriately in the moment to stop them if they begin, and then methodically work through the evidence afterward to make improvements, assign responsibility, and to help those affected. Oh, and also, we can take time to be clear about the facts. Next week, I'm going to be doing a special show, sort of the definitive case on guns. I want you to know about all the myths and all the truths. What is the reality here? I want to do all of them together and give you one central place for when, God forbid, any of these things happen. When you see an annoying claim on social media, whatever you see, we can do something about it. So if you know about those claims on social media, if you're seeing it from commentators or politicians, send them in, uh, put them on Twitter, put them on Facebook. We can debunk them uh, once and for all. I want to know what you think we should go after here. Uh, I'm, you know, mainly because I don't want to have to go over the same information over and over and over again for people who don't understand. You know, I mean, I, we've talked about these things so many times. It's going to be a, a week from today on Friday, June 3rd. Spread the word and get the facts. Back in a second. If you happen to be a carnivore, my guess is you like knowing where your meat comes from. Well, when you order it through Moink, uh, that place is literally from small family farms all across the country, by which I mean, you know, like this country, the United States of America. And that means you can help save family farms and get access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon right to your door. Moink farmers farm like, you know, our grandparents did. And as a result, their meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. 
Uh, I don't eat meat myself. You probably know that. My family loves it, of course. They love me to be the grill master, and they love when I put some moink meats on the grill. Uh, you know, I want to. If they're going to eat meat, I want them to eat the best products, and moink is the difference that you can take to the bank. Uh, and you're helping family farms stay independent as well. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com/stew right now. Listeners to this show get free filet mignon in every order for a year. That's one year of the best filet you've ever tasted for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash stew. It's moinkbox.com slash stew. It's always great to have Michael Schellenberger on the program. He's the author of some great books, including San Francisco, Why Progressives Ruin Cities. He's the president and founder of Environmental Progress, and he's now a candidate to be governor of California. Michael, how's it going? Good to be with you. Thanks for having me back on, Stu. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, can you kind of, before we get started into what you would do in California if you were elected, can you kind of give us a picture of what's the state of the race right now? Well, the election is on June 7th, and it's an open primary, which means that anybody can vote for anybody. Republican can vote for independence. Uh, I am running as an independent. Democrats can vote for independence. But it's an open primary, so the top two vote getters move on to the runoff election on November 8th. And again, the election is a week from Tuesday. We're feeling very strong about it. You know, we're getting support from all sides, from Republicans, independents, Democrats. The situation in California is so chaotic. The, there's a huge crime spike. The homeless encampments are spreading everywhere. There's going to be blackouts this summer, water shortages. It's just a reign of incompetence by our governor. And so we're feeling very strong about uh qualifying for the runoffs on Tuesday, yeah, a week re- from Tuesday. I'm really hoping you're, you're going to do well here, Michael, because it would make a huge difference to the country if someone who was sane happened to be in control of California. You're trying to do that, and you're trying to unseat Gavin Newsom. So what's the case against Gavin? I mean, I, I think most people here in this audience uh, don't like him generally and don't think he's done a good job. But for people who might not be in California, what has the, what has his, what's his job performance been like? I mean, it's been pretty terrible. So he's been in political life for 25 years. His policy agenda on homelessness went statewide. He started in San Francisco, this policy called Housing First, which says that we should just give a free apartment unit to anybody who asks for one. It's insane. When I say it like that, people think I'm exaggerating. That's not (laughs) an exaggeration. That's actually the policy. They then defunded homeless shelters, clean, safe, basic shelters, And then they let people camp anywhere. And they've basically stopped enforcing laws against public drug dealing, public drug use. So, Stu, you now have extremely sick people, both with mental illness, but also late stage drug addiction, who are dying at a rate of almost 10 a day in California from drug overdoses, drug poisonings. Large parts of Los Angeles, San Diego, Sacramento, San Francisco, Oakland are now uninhabitable. They're they're controlled by drug dealers, crime that comes with it. So you've seen a huge uh, 30% increase in homicides. And so until we deal with this crisis, we can't solve any of our other problems. And our other problems are huge. We are going to have the fourth year row of blackouts. The governor, you know, when he fails, his policies, when they fail or when they create a crisis, he looks around for somebody to blame. When he can't find anybody to blame, he blames climate change as though climate change were somehow new to the last couple of years. We've been we've known that California is going to get hotter for the last 30 years. So basically every single thing that the governor could make worse, he has made worse from homelessness to crime to water shortages, energy shortages. And then the schools, 
you know, we don't even have time to talk about it often, but the schools have deteriorated under his his reign as governor. And, you know, it's been a long, long time coming here. I mean, after, you know, reading your books, you're a person who not only looks at the problems. I think, you know, you spend a lot of time in your books talking about actual solutions to these things and trying to come up with a way that, you know, I think can appeal to pretty much everybody. I mean, these are you're not coming at this as a hardcore partisan on either side. You're just saying, like, hey, here are the problems. Here are rational solutions we've seen work in other parts of the world. Why don't we not try to, I don't know, implement some of them? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so on the on the main issue of homelessness, people should not be allowed to camp illegally. It's not safe for them. It's not safe for anybody else. It results in complete destruction of the cities. People should not be able to deal drugs publicly. There should be basic shelter, but then the limited amount of housing that we have that's subsidized should be earned as a reward for abstinence. It's what actually people with mental illness and drug addiction need to make progress on their own personal plan. You know, when it comes to schools, we now have we now see in the real world that when parents are able to choose where their kids go to school, when they have more choices, schools compete with each other. You know, it sounds crazy, but students do better when they study longer, when they have more time studying. But instead, the governor is trying to lower standards. You know, it's appalling. We have only a third of our students are proficient in math, less than half are proficient in reading. The response from the governor to the racial disparities that exist, only 10% of black students are math proficient. That's unacceptable. But instead of raising the standards, increasing the amount of time that students have in the classroom, increasing parental choice about where their kids go to school, the governor's people are trying to get rid of algebra before high school. These are civilization-destroying policies, Stu, and we need to reverse them. We need to have a recommitment to excellence, a recommitment to quality, in every part of our lives, from how we deliver electricity to producing fresh water from desalination, water recycling, to the performance of our schools, to what we demand from ourselves. I mean, as governor, you need to lead by example. Our governor, when when he was making our kids stay home during the COVID pandemic between 2020 and 2021, he was sending his own children to private school for in-classroom instruction. When he was telling us we had to wear masks everywhere, he was going around without his masks at, at fancy restaurants, in sports stadiums. So we need leadership that is going to be with the people in terms of the policies that they implement. That's the kind of leadership I want to bring to California. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, it's been a while since I've been in San Francisco. The last time I was there was whenever the Super Bowl was there a few years ago. And I remember back then being stunned. Like, I, I as a person who follows the news, who reads all the reports about California and the problems they've had, it was stunning to actually see it in practice. And from all reports, it's gotten much, much, much worse since then. And I think this happens to people a lot when they come to visit. I want to give you a clip from Charles Barkley. This is him uh, on the NBA broadcast the other night talking about his experience in San Francisco. You know the bad thing about all this rain? It's not raining in San Francisco. The clean up of those dirty ass streets they got there. Uh, you know, Say it again, they need a clean. San Francisco, you know, it's a great city. But all that dirtiness and homelessness, y'all, man, y'all gotta clean that off the streets. I wish it, because it's raining like hell down here. Look, this, that looks beautiful. No, 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 no. You go, go three the blocks Pacific over. Ocean is hey, right go there. three blocks over by our hotel. Go three blocks uh, over by our hotel. It, it's raining so hard down here. San Francisco need a good washing. I mean, this this is Gavin Newsom's California. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's we're now a laughing stock, and it's globally. I mean, I have people come from Japan who describe what they've seen in San Francisco, the look of horror on their face. 
No developed country in the world lets their mentally ill loved ones or people in their families who are addicted to hard drugs live in tents on the street, defecate on the street, steal, commit crimes. This is unacceptable. I mean, this is it's it's shocking to visit. You know, I took a journalist from a the Times of London newspaper out on a walk uh, a couple of weeks ago. Within seven minutes, Stu, we found somebody who was overdosing on fentanyl, which is a drug that's 100 times more potent than heroin. It, it's shocking. You know, 50 to 80 percent of all the fires that the fire department puts out in Los Angeles are in homeless encampments, deliberately set as revenge for these kind of petty squabbles between very desperate people. So this is not rocket science. We need to return to basics. I want to bring California back to where we should have been before, which is livable streets, walkable streets. My 16-year-old daughter should be able to walk through the streets, the downtown of San Francisco. She can't do that safely. Our schools need to be teaching our kids basic math and reading. They're not doing that. They're lost in a kind of radical, woke religion. And I think people are sick of it. You know, people are sick of the extremes on all sides. And so I think we're going to see a big change, a big shakeup happen on June 7th. You know, this is not a, at a certain point, it's not a left-right thing anymore. It's just trying to get back to the fundamentals of what it takes to run a civilization. Yeah, you know, and Michael, it seems to be clear that people are noticing that or that, or that are in California. I mean, we here in Texas are very happy to have the giant, you know, Tesla plant uh, built here. Uh, we know Elon Musk has left, but I mean, He's just one guy. There have been tons and tons of people that I know personally who lived in California and enjoyed California, loved California, and just could not bring themselves to stay there, whether it was from um, the hypocritical COVID uh, restrictions that the governor was putting on, to the business environment, to the drug problem, to the crime problem. I mean, Gavin Newsom is essentially chasing people out of the state, and that is just not necessary in a place like California. Well, he takes people for granted. I mean, those of us that are that love California, I fell in love with California as a boy, came, been out here for um, 30 years. You know, we he takes it for granted that we're going to stay here and put up with anything. You know, I think that people wanted to send a message last year during the recall. You know, this is not California is not a conservative state. It's not a radical left wing state, though, either. People are looking for a moderate candidate. You know, I was a lifelong progressive Democrat. I changed my party affiliation to independence. I'm bringing to this race, I think, an understanding of where people are at in California, which is that we want to be compassionate to people that are suffering from drug addiction and mental illness. They don't need to go to prison, but they do need to go to rehab. You know, people that can't afford the rent and need some basic accommodation should be able to stay in a shelter. But if you want our subsidized housing, you need to earn it by making progress on your personal plan. Similarly, we have to make demands and have responsibilities for the people who come here. This is a simple, we call it, might call it a, con, a social contract or a simple exchange between taxpayers and the people who live here. I mean, we have the highest taxes in the United States and we have the worst services. So it's, I don't think we're asking too much. I think that we're ready for some, you know, a real sense of basic order, some basic law and order, get the sick the care they need. There's definitely some violent sociopaths who need to go to prison the governor doesn't seem to distinguish between these two groups. He's willy-nilly closing three prisons. He's already let 30,000 people out of prison before rehabilitating them. Many of them are on the streets in the homeless encampments. Nearly 100% of the women that we interview say they've been sexually assaulted multiple times. 
This is not okay. We don't allow these situations to exist in the richest, most overtaxed state in the greatest country in the world. It's unacceptable. Mm. Uh, Michael, uh, you said the election or the elections coming up. You need to get in the, the top two. If people want to help, yeah. if, if they want to get on your team and, and, and maybe donate, how do they go about doing that? Sure. Thanks for asking, Stu. So it's just schellenbergerforgovernor.com. Yeah, we need uh, it's obviously a big state We're we're raising a lot of money. We need a lot of money to be able to run the ads to reach people in a state that's almost 40 million people. And also you can sign up there to learn more about the agenda. You'll see it's some pretty basic stuff, abundant energy and water, better, more school choice for parents, livable, walkable and safe cities. The ingredients for these things are very straightforward. They're universal. They exist in every country in the world. This isn't rocket science. We've got a movement behind us, Stu. It's really exciting to see people, Republicans, Democrats, independents, all coming together around a common set of principles and a common vision. I hope it happens. I really do. Michael Schellenberger. It's schellenbergerforgovernor.com. And you can also pick up a copy of his book. You want to see uh, all this stuff in real detail. San Francisco, why progressives ruin cities. And if you live in California, don't forget to vote. Uh, it's, the primary is coming up on June 7th. Make sure you're involved. Michael, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me, Stu. Okay, next Friday, June 3rd, be absolutely sure not to miss this program. We're going to be doing a huge special debunking the biggest and worst gun myths we hear from the left and the media. I want you to send your examples to me. Uh, you can see them at Studios America on Twitter or wherever, uh, so whatever social media you're on. Uh, we'll cover everything from you know stuff like Australia banning guns, and that solved murder, right? I just saw a new write-up about that from the left. It's just they keep trying these things. Uh, Gun-free zones, do they make people safer? Uh, we, we're going to go through all of them, and some you probably haven't heard, maybe some of them you've heard, but I want to get them all in the same place with all of the information you need to know to back it up. So you're not just saying these things, you know where the information is, you can look at the charts, you can see the sources, all in one place. It's a week from today, Friday, June 3rd, same time, same place, and with all uh, the content that we're creating here at Blaze Media. The best way to watch it is, of course, with your own Blaze TV subscription. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Enter the promo code stew at checkout because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you want more myth busting on uh, <laughs> on the air. Uh, we'll do that. we got a promo code set up uh, for uh, for this, of course. The promo code is stew. You'll save 10 bucks. Uh, check it out next Friday, and we will bust all the myths you're hearing on guns. Let me tell you about the three-week rule. Yes, the three-week rule. Mm -hmm. If you're going to buy something big, you're going to buy something that you're going to need to finance, you're going to buy something that your credit score is important to, well, then wait three weeks to make any major purchase, a home, a car, the giant yacht you've been thinking of. Are you thinking about buying Vladimir Putin's yacht? you got $700 million and you're thinking about financing it? Wait three weeks. Because if you do that, you can get your score, uh, credit score higher with ScoreMaster. ScoreMaster boosts your credit score an average of 61 points in just three weeks. And that 61 points can lower your interest rate and save you thousands, maybe millions. 
if you're buying Vladimir Putin's yacht. Scoremaster technology was developed by credit scientists to boost your credit score higher and faster than you thought possible. And it only takes about a minute to get started. You don't have to wait months to get your best credit score. Try Scoremaster today and see how many plus points you can add to your credit score. Go to scoremaster.com slash stew, scoremaster.com slash stew. If you buy Vladimir Putin's yacht, give me a ride, scoremaster.com slash stew. All right, let me take you back to 2012. Sandy Hook goes on, Barack Obama is president. He's looking for somebody to lead the response to this and talk about guns and all the gun control they want to do, someone with a really important job. So, of course, he goes directly to his vice president, Joe Biden, who leads leads that effort and, uh, as everyone complaining today, didn't get anywhere with it. But, okay, he went to Joe Biden. That's what you do in these situations. And, of course, now Joe Biden is president, and he is going to do the same thing. No one better uh, to lead the effort against uh, guns and, and to add some more gun control than Vice President Kamala Harris. So Kamala—oh, no. They went to Susan Rice instead because they know Kamala Harris is an idiot. It has no chance of getting any of this stuff accomplished. Now, I would rather have Kamala Harris in control of this particular effort because I don't want her to get anything accomplished because I don't think any of this stuff will work and she would definitely fail. But Susan Rice is more of a strategist, so we'll see how that goes. Gas prices have hit a staggering $4.60 average nationwide. Uh, now, I have a bit of a gas guzzler. Uh, not my new car. That's still... That's in the Joe Biden economy. It'll be here eventually. Don't worry. It's only been nine months. But my old car, it's got a gas guzzler a little bit. It's it's over 70 bucks to fill that thing up in Texas today. I have a friend, though, who lives in Pennsylvania who drives a Hyundai. Okay, and it still cost him. It cost him $80 to fill up a Hyundai. That's insanity. That is like there should be a clause in the Constitution. If it takes $80 to fill up a Hyundai, automatic impeachment. That's just my particular recommendation. And even when you have something good that happens to you in the Biden economy, you can't celebrate it. Why helium shortage? You can't even fill your freaking balloons up. That is where we are in this country right now. Helium is hitting birthday and graduation parties. That's, by the way, why I pre-purchase my helium. I have two kids, and I go to the little store, and I get a couple of tanks, and they sit in my garage until it's balloon time. That's just one of the tips. One of the many tips you get here listening to this show every day. And finally, uh, another part of the gun issue was, of course, mental health. And they're going to be doing a big push for this on mental health. And Joe Biden wants someone really competent to make sure that they uh, can understand and take uh, take the reins of this project. So they named Vice President Kamala Harris uh, to. I'm sorry. No, it was Selena Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you might sit here and say, Selena, the singer, you're putting Selena Gomez in charge of this and people, conservatives are laughing at this and I understand why. But think about this for a second. If you could snap your fingers right now and make Selena Gomez president instead of Joe Biden, wouldn't you do it? I know I would. Okay, here's what happened. Taco Bell. They had the Mexican pizza. People seem to love it. They take it off the menu and everyone freaks out. They wait a couple years. Then they bring it back. The big triumphant return of the Mexican pizza. Not going to say I was there getting it within the first few hours. That would be, that would be, that would be too revealing. But I was. Anyway, so uh, now there's an internal email that has been leaked that apparently says that they're going to get rid of it again. 
they've having supply. This is Joe Biden's America. Supply chain issues ruining the Mexican pizza. They're going to have to take it off the menu. And then that's when America riots. This is when you're you're going to see all the cities burn to the ground again. I'm it's very unfortunate. By the way, don't forget to sign up. StuDoesPowerHour.com. Get involved. You can come see the Power Hour live. And I guarantee you this, after it's over, I'm going to Taco Bell, so you can join me there too. StuDoesPowerHour.com. <laughs>